This morning, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6 again. We have been working our way this year through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, We are still kind of in the middle now of chapter 6. We've been doing a series within a series because the Sermon on the Mount is all about how we as believers are supposed to respond and act now that we're a part of the kingdom of God, now that we are looking at Jesus as our king, our lord, our leader, our boss, how are we supposed to act and who are we supposed to be? So we've seen the Beatitudes that talk about attitudes and actions that we're supposed to cultivate that demonstrate that we are a part of the kingdom of God. And then we saw how that impacts the world around us. And we've gone on beyond that. And we've seen now Jesus has been saying that the way that you and I live and the righteous things we do, the good stuff that we're supposed to do, we don't do so that other people will see how good and how spiritual and how awesome we are. But instead, we do those things because our Father who sees in secret will reward us. So we do good deeds out of a heart that wants to honor God, not that wants to be seen by everybody else who thinks we're really cool because we do these things, right? Now, in Jesus' day, he's been highlighting a few things that were big issues for the people he was talking to specifically that in that first period. One, he talked about the issue of giving, and especially giving to the poor. There were these guys named the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders, and they were really big on making sure that they had the outworking of what they were doing look good. They wanted to look good in front of people. So when they went to give things to the poor, they would sound a trumpet before them and say, hey guys, look how awesome I am as I'm giving money to poor people who are pathetic. When Jesus said, don't do that, give in secret. Then he talked about prayer because it used to be that the Pharisees would stand up and they'd pray loud prayers so that everybody would hear how good they were. Or there were some who had taken their pattern of prayer after pagan religions and they would just repeat the same thing over and over and over again, hoping that God would eventually hear them because they repeated their mantra enough times or whatever it may be. Now, we kind of took a springboard off of that into looking at not just as is prayer in general about our private prayer life and then we looked at how jesus gave us a model for prayer and explained to us how we're to go about praying and we said that this was not necessarily a prayer that jesus prayed because jesus told us to pray for forgiveness but jesus never had to pray to ask for god to forgive him because he had never sinned so instead he was modeling for you and for me a way that we're supposed to pray and the kinds of requests that we're supposed to make We wrapped that up last week, so if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back. Now, before we move on to another section, though, Jesus is going to give us one more example of something that the Pharisees were doing wrong, that they were doing so that other people would see them, that we're supposed to do privately. Now, as we're looking at this, we're going to be looking at the issue of fasting. Now, this is an interesting one because we don't usually talk about fasting in our church as often as we should. That's why I'm saying it's a neglected tool. Um, In fact, as Americans, let me go ahead and give you some statistics, okay? Um, At some point in your life, you may have tried to count calories or carbs or, you know, whatever. But here's some basic statistics for you. These numbers are about 10 years old, but I couldn't find uh, a newer version of them. They had been uh, used over and over again. Every time I kept finding them, it was still this 10-year-old number. But here's what we see. On average, the American will eat 29 pounds of French fries over the next year. We will eat 23 pounds of pizza, 24 pounds of ice cream, which, by the way, I think that's a low estimate for me. Um, I could eat ice cream all day, every day, if that was allowed. We will consume 53 gallons of soda. For those of you who remember your elementary school math, that means you're drinking more than one gallon of soda a week, right? Okay? 
we will consume 24 pounds of artificial sweeteners, and on average, each American will consume 2.736 pounds of salt, which is about 47% more than what's recommended, okay? Now, as Americans, by and large, we rarely go hungry. I know that there may be some who are here in this room or some who are listening who have either been through periods where they have gone through a genuine hungry kind of situation. But for most Americans today, we have the food, at least most Americans who are listening to me right now, you have food at home or food in your pantry or you can swing by McDonald's on the way home. In fact, by the way, um, some of you may have had those lean times but you, you may have had those moments where your kids looked at you and they said, but dad, I'm starving, right? Um, how many of you had a dad like, um, like I am becoming that would quote statistics on how long it takes you to die from starvation? Do you guys ever have your dad do that? You know, you can go three days without water, you can go three weeks without food, you know, you'll be fine. You, you, are, you are nowhere close to starvation. The reality is most of us as Americans, many of us have never truly experienced real hunger. We say that we're starving, but you know better. Most of us have never been anywhere close to actual starvation. What are you planning on having for lunch? Are you planning on something delicious? By the way, are you feeling hungry yet? It's just evil. I almost thought about doing like I did that one day where I got popcorn. I popped popcorn in the sanctuary one Sunday morning. It was just evil because you just sit there and you're just drooling. You know, it's like, ah, man, it sounds so good. Are you starting to feel hungry? Well, good. See, most of us don't actually feel that true physical hunger all that regularly because there's something in the pantry you can grab, something in the fridge, or a burger joint open that you can get something to eat. By the way, I did a quick Google search this week from the church as our starting point. There are over 20 fast food restaurants within a four-mile stretch of the church building, okay? So, like I said, most of us have never felt that hunger. With food all around us, we don't feel it for very long. For many of us, by the way, we kind of have that same action and reaction in our spiritual life. We've never actually allowed God to cultivate in us a true hunger for Him. A lot of times now what we do is we're scrolling through our Facebook feed or we're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, and we see, you know, here's an inspirational Bible quote or here's a little clip clip from a preacher. By the way, those things are good, but I'm afraid what happens is we get our devotional email in the morning, you know, and we read through that devotion for the day, and and, and maybe we're scrolling through Facebook and somebody shared a verse, like the the church posts verse most days and, and, and things like that. And as we're going through that, that's our snacks. You know, we've just kind of been snacking on the Word all day, but we've never reached that point where we've got that true spiritual hunger. It says, God, if you don't speak, if, if, if I don't hear from your word, if you don't meet this need, I'm going to die. Well, as we look at this thing that the Bible calls fasting, I want to encourage you to look at it this way. As we're talking about what fasting is and fasting isn't, I want to use this definition. Fasting is a spiritual and a physical response to a spiritual and or physical need where our need to seek God's face overrides our desire for comfort. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I, as, as I begin this talk on fasting, this is not a discipline that I have practiced as regularly as I ought. Not only that, when you start looking at fasting, the, the uh, amount of variety of opinions on what fasting is and isn't is all over the place. So what we're going to do this morning is try to use this definition. It may not be the best definition. It may just kind of be a working definition for us again. But Jamie, put it back up again. Fasting 
is one of these things where it is a spiritual and physical response to a spiritual and or physical need where our need to seek God's face overrides our desire for comfort. Okay? So here's what I want you to think of. If you get nothing else out of this message, I want you to see that fasting is a response to a need for God to move. We've talked about the fact that prayer is us acknowledging that we need God to work in our lives and the lives of those around us. And so prayer is kind of, 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 a, of a step in this direction. Fasting is complemented by prayer and is associated with it. But as we look at it, we're going to see that fasting is this extra level of response when we find ourselves in a very desperate situation or we're trying to cultivate a greater level of spiritual hunger. Now, here's what we're going to have to do this morning. Because we don't talk about fasting very often, I'm going to try to just do a little bit more teaching about it. So let's read what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6 about what it means to fast. He says this, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. I love that statement. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is, again, the third example of a, a practice that Jesus is teaching us to do differently than those in the world. Now, again, let me give you a little bit of history here. As the Pharisees were doing their, their religious stuff, right, the religious guys, they actually had gotten to the point where by Jesus' day, they were fasting two days a week. But here's what they would do. They picked the market days for the days that they would fast. Now, if you're not familiar with the way that a, a city would have worked back then, you didn't have you know, Walmart and Kroger and stuff open all day, every day. So you only had certain days where there was the market and it was in town and you'd go in and that's when you'd buy your food for the week. And so as you're going through the market, the Pharisees, when they would go out to the market, they would make sure that their face was all you know, scraggly and their clothes were all ratty. And then somebody would be like you know, kind of walking through Sam's and they'd offer you a free sample, you know. And they would make sure that they fasted on the, on the market days so that they could walk through the market and say, ah, No, thank you. I don't need any bread today because I'm fasting. Oh, how spiritual. You're so godly, right? And you go through, hey, you want to try a sushi roll? No, I'm sorry. I'm fasting today. I cannot. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, when you fast, don't make your face like one of the hypocrites. He said, go ahead and slick back your hair, wash your face, wear good clothes, because it's not about being seen by other people. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let's use that as a springboard and take a look at what the Bible teaches us about fasting. There's four truths that we're going to look at this morning. (gasps) He doesn't have three points. I know, right? We're doing four today. It means you're going to be here till like two. Just kidding. See, now if we get out any time before 2 o'clock, you, it's a win. The first thing that we see here is as Jesus is talking about fasting, you've got to understand, number one, fasting is assumed. Fasting is assumed. Look at how Jesus says this. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. Then in verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your, face, your head and those things. Now, it's the same language that he applied in verse 2 and 3 to giving. And it's the same thing he said in verses 5 through 7 about prayer. And I think all of us would say, yes, we're supposed to give to the poor. That just makes sense. Yes, I'm supposed to pray. So if Jesus uses the same language to talk about prayer and to talk about giving, then what do you think this means? 
That means it's assumed that just like you're going to pray, just like you're going to give, that there will be times in which you fast. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Does anybody believe that we shouldn't give to the poor? How about prayer? Well, if that stands to reason, then we should be people who fast at times. Now, it is interesting to note that while Jesus was on earth, his disciples didn't fast. In fact, they got in trouble for it. And there was a time, it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. There's an assumption that after Jesus' earthly ministry, Fasting would be a part of the life of his followers. Now, Jesus said, like, you know, you don't go to a a wedding feast and as you're sitting there at the head table with the bride and the groom, you don't sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm fasting today. No, you go and you celebrate and you enjoy the time and you celebrate that wedding. So when the groom is with you, you don't fast. But he's saying the groom was going to be taken away. Jesus was going to finish his earthly ministry. And so there would be a time at which it was appropriate for us to fast. So there is this assumption that we will. Now, let me also make this statement. There is not a command in the New Testament ever to fast. There is never a time where Jesus specifically says, fast on this occasion or fast in this way. There's nothing in the writings of Paul or any of the other books of the New Testament that says this is when you have to fast, okay? In fact, the only routine fast that was actually commanded by God was the fast for the Day of Atonement. Back in Leviticus chapter 16 and Leviticus 23, it says that they were to afflict or humble their souls, which is a reference to fasting. So there was a time in which God said, one day a year, you are called to fast regularly. That's not reiterated in the New Testament, but there is this underlying assumption that you will. Now, the Jews had added additional feasts, or excuse me, additional fasts, as commemoration of national events, but none of those were actually commanded by God in Scripture. Like I mentioned, the Pharisees had even gotten to the point where they fasted twice a week to show everybody how spiritual they were. And again, that's not something that God ever prescribed, but it's something that they had done and added on. So fasting is not necessarily commanded, but it is assumed that you and I will. After Christ died, the fast around the Day of Atonement was fulfilled, so we're not even actually bound by that one. But it's clear from Jesus' words and the fact that he took the time to deal with this that fasting is an assumed part of life as a believer, okay? Now, by the way, I know that today's message is not the most exciting and engaging ever, um, but we want to handle all of God's word, and I don't view any service by skipping over passages like I was tempted to do this week, okay? We good? So first off, fasting is assumed. The second thing that we see is fasting is modeled for us throughout Scripture, When you look at the history sections of Scripture, you find many great men and women of God who are participating in some kind of fast, okay? Let me just give you a few in no particular order, okay? Um, If you want these, I can give them to you later, but uh, they're not going to be on the screen or anything. We see Moses, when he's on Mount Sinai with God in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, Moses fasts during his time there. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel is waiting on God to answer a prayer and, and, ex, and explain something to him, so he fasts in anticipation of hearing from God. Mordecai and the people of Israel need God to spare their life from an evil decree in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, so they declare a fast. There was a civil war in Judges chapter 20, verse 26, and so in response to that, in mourning, the nation of Israel mourned and fasted during that time. 
Nehemiah, when he discovered that the wall at Jerusalem was still broken down and Jerusalem was in shambles, he took time to fast in mourning over what had taken place in Nehemiah chapter 1-4. David was interceding for the life of his child who was sick in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. He fasted. He also fasted to mourn the loss of Abner in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 35. The, in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, the people of Nineveh fasted when they realized they needed to repent and be forgiven and, and for God to spare them from his judgment. The church began to fast before they began to send out missionaries or before they appointed elders in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, and then chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus himself fasted 40 days in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, as he took time to prepare himself for his earthly ministry. So all of these fasts that we see throughout Scripture, like I've said, they're modeled that in response to a particular situation of need, God's people often fast. So they fast because they're mourning over the loss of someone. They fast because they're praying for God to work. They fast because they're asking God to forgive them and repent of their sins. They, they fast because they need God to move in a unique way. And so they take this time to look at the spiritual and physical need that they have and say, you know what, I'm going to not just pray, but I'm going to physically respond to this and abstain from food for a season, okay? By the way, you find all kinds of different fasts. Um, in a normal fast, you wouldn't eat food until after sunset. Sometimes, though, you'd have a partial fast where you just abstain from a certain kind of food or a certain activity for a season. Still other times, you have a complete and a total fast, no food, no water at all. Some fasts in the Bible last for a single day, others last for up to 40 days, and some possibly even beyond that. So as we look at what the Bible teaches us about fasts, the reason I'm going through all that so quickly is because what you find is we fast in different ways, at different times, for different seasons, always, though, as a response to a spiritual need around us. Now, some people do still have the habit of fasting regularly, one day a month, a couple days a year, um, or even possibly even weekly. The reason they do that is because they want to cultivate in, in themselves that deep spiritual hunger and that physical hunger is a, a good key mechanism for them. So they've decided to make that a weekly thing. Others, like I said, they'll fast only in response to a particular need. All right? So we see fasting is assumed by Jesus. It's something that's modeled for us throughout Scripture. But if you've been around and, and following any health circles, you know that not all fasting is the same. You know, one of the big things, it's a, a big diet trick right now is what's called intermittent fasting, which is where you, you fast for 18 hours a day and you only eat for six hours a day and, you know, this kind of thing. And you, you try to make your caloric hit, intake during this period and all this kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. When the Bible's talking about fasting, we're not talking about fasting for a cleanse or a detox or intermittent fasting or whatever it is. We're talking about number three, that fasting is not just modeled throughout Scripture, but it is a spiritual activity. Fasting is a spiritual activity. This is not just fasting for health. This is fasting because you're seeking God's face in a different way. These stories of men and women who fasted sought God earnestly, you see that it's first and foremost a spiritual activity. Now, let me go ahead and pause real quick, and I'm sorry if I ruffle feathers with this one, but I just got to say it. Some of you know when I was talking through the list of people in the, the Bible who fasted, one of the ones I mentioned was a guy named Daniel. Daniel fasted because he was waiting on hearing from God. Some have taken Daniel's actions in Daniel chapter 1 and have made that into what's called the Daniel fast. There's been a, a popular book about how you abstain from meat and certain things for a period of time and that it's good for your health and good for your soul and things like that. They've taken what happens in Daniel chapter 1 and they've made that into health advice. 
Can I just be honest with you and say that's not what it's saying? When Daniel was fasting, he was not really fasting. He was abstaining from the food that the king was given because it had been sacrificed to idols. So, and it was also unclean. It wasn't prepared according to the Jewish dietary laws. And so for Daniel to partake of that, it would have been an act of idolatry and it would have violated his conscience and made him unclean. So Daniel's not abstaining from meat because meat's bad from you. Daniel is abstaining from meat because that meat had been sacrificed to idols. And so because of that, he couldn't do that in good faith. That is what's called a descriptive passage that describes what Daniel did, not a prescriptive passage, meaning it's not commanding you to do the same thing. Okay? Now, I'm not here to tell you that you need to eat meat, that you need to be a vegan. Or I'm, that's beyond the scope of this completely. I'm just saying, be careful when you hear people start talking about like the Daniel fast and things like that. That's not necessarily what that's talking about. Fasting in Scripture is this time when I recognize a spiritual and a physical need, and I not only am seeking God spiritually, but I'm also allowing my body to experience that hunger by abstaining from food or from something else, depending on what the fast is, okay? Fasting does involve typically limiting your food intake or your water intake, abstaining from certain activities. It's not just for the sake of your body. You're not just trying to kickstart your diet or get yourself into ketosis or whatever it is. Okay, all of these fasts, they may be beneficial, by the way. I'm not saying that intermittent fasting is bad. Again, that's outside the scope of what we're talking about. What I'm saying is that's not what we're meaning here. If you decide to fast for health reasons, that's great. It's not the same thing as a spiritual fast. Make sense? Be clear on that? Y'all still with me? So in this spiritual activity, although there are things that may be beneficial, what you're doing is you're not just deciding to simply avoid food. What you're doing is you're allowing that hunger that's cultivated in you, you're allowing that to drive you to say, God, just like I feel my stomach rumbling within me because I'm hungry, God, would you make me that hungry for your word? Just like my body feels that it needs food right now, I know that I need you and I need you specifically to move in this way. Now, you're not doing, I have this fear sometimes when we talk about this, that, that when we talk about fasting, that it's the idea that like I'm that toddler who's going to hold his breath until he gets his way. You ever been around a kid that does that, right? They're, they're like, they want a cookie and you're like, no, you can't have a cookie until after dinner. And so they go, fine, <gasps> right? And they're holding their breath until they get their way. That's not what we're doing with fasting. We're not trying to twist God's arm and say, God, I'm just going to let myself starve to death unless you answer the prayer, Right? not what we're saying. Instead, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I have such a spiritually strong need in this area. I need you to speak, and I need you to create this hunger in me. And so, God, I'm going to allow my physical body to go without food or without water or whatever you're abstaining from for this period to again remind me of my desperate spiritual need to know that I need you to work in this area. I need you to come through in this way. I need you to move. In fact, um, it's always designed to point you to prayer. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, has put together a great resource on uh, fasting. He's actually home with the Lord now. But you can find it, and I'll actually link it up. I'm going to try to send it out to the church in an email tomorrow. He's got a, a good overview of fasting and how to go about it. But here's a quote from that, an excerpt from it. It's a little bit long. But he said, Receiving God's best blessing from a fast requires solid commitment. 
Arranging special time each day with God is absolutely crucial in attaining intimate communion with the Father. You must devote yourself to seeking God's face, even and especially during those times in which you feel weak, vulnerable, or irritable. Read His Word and pray during what were mealtimes. Meditate on Him when you awake in the night. Sing praises to Him whenever you please. Focus on your Heavenly Father and make every act one of praise and worship. God will enable you to experience His command to pray without seeking as you seek His presence. Okay? So he's saying, take those mealtimes, and instead of sitting down at the table, sit down in your room with your Bible and say, God, I want, instead of eating, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak from your word. I need you to move in a great way. Okay? When you start feeling that rumble, when you start getting hangry, <laughs> you say, God, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that, that as irritable as I am right now, it shows just how weak my body is, and I know spiritually I'm weak. So God, I need you to strengthen Fasting is primarily a spiritual activity, even though it's a physical thing, right? Let's see, trying to look. Oh, yeah. As we're looking through here, the, one of the key aspects of all of this in fasting is that fasting is ultimately an act of humbling myself before God. It's an act of, of laying down everything in front of Him. It often comes out of grief and mourning. Sometimes it's grieving over the loss of a loved one. Other times it's grieving over our sin and selfishness or the sins of the world around us. But fasting can also sense a desperate need of God to guide, whether it's a decision, some new venture in ministry, or or, or whatever it may be. Fasting is not an attempt, as I said, to try to twist God's arm or hold your breath until you you, you finally convince God to do what He wants. It's not a tool to impress God with how great you are or how spiritual you are. It's a tool by which we humbly acknowledge that we need God to move or to answer or to provide in this situation more than we even need food. Now, some people feel led, like I said, to make this a regular practice, to cultivate that hunger regularly with weekly fast or monthly fast or quarterly or annually. Others simply do it when there's a need that comes up, when there is a unique situation in their family or in the world around them or in their own personal life. They'll take that time. But whenever you do, you need to make sure that you set aside that time to set it aside with God to discover how he wants to use this tool, this discipline in your own life, okay? Now, we've said that it's a spiritual activity, but one thing that you have to remember in this as well, something that Jesus points out for us back to the Sermon on the Mount, is that fasting is also personal. Fasting is personal. Now, as we talk about it, like I've said, God will use fasting in different ways in different people's lives at different times. Some of you are going to fast regularly. Some of you may only fast at times that something big is happening. Any way you cut it, it's personal. It's a matter of the heart. Again, going back to what we see here, don't make your fasting, like he says in verse 16, obvious to people. It's not so that other people will see how spiritual you are, right? Just like anything else, it's an attempt to, to be right with God, to be humble, heartfelt response to an understanding of our need, not so that other people would see how good we are. We don't wear old ratty clothes. We don't intentionally schedule coffee meetings with people and say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't have coffee today because I'm, I'm fasting. You go ahead, you, you enjoy your coffee. Now, if you live with other people, they're going to know that you're fasting. Just like if you're married and you're giving to the poor, your spouse is going to know that there's something coming out of the checkbook. That, that's part of how this goes. However, at the same time, don't do it so that others will know. Don't go around moping all day, whining about how hungry you are and making sure everybody knows how spiritual you are, right? Don't do that. 
Let fasting come out of a genuine response to a recognition that you need God's guidance, you need his forgiveness, you need his peace, you need his restoration. Like I said, let your spouse, let your kids know that you're fasting, but just like with giving in prayer, we're not telling the whole world that we're going through this time of fasting. Why? Because it's a spiritual and physical response to a spiritual and physical need where our need to see God's face overrides our desire for comfort. So, with that in mind, my question for you is, is there a situation that you need to be fasting about? Now again, not for health reasons, not to get your blood sugar back in line. Is there something that's going on in the world around you, personally a decision you're facing, a health situation, where you need to spend some time fasting, perhaps even this week. By the way, in case you're wondering, there's plenty of things going on in the world around us that would give us an opportunity. We have elections coming up in a few weeks, and I don't care which side of the aisle you're on or if you're not even in the building when it comes to politics, there is a lot of tension going into the fall. So pray that God would guide the elections in the way that he sees fit, that everything would go peaceably and in order, that that it would all go well for his name and his glory and his benefit. Maybe that's time for us to fast about that. Maybe it would be wise for us to take a day to fast about the pandemic, that God would bring an end to the spread of the virus and that people would be able to to figure out the cure quickly as they come up with a vaccine. Maybe we need to be praying and fasting over God resolving the racial tension in our nation. Whether you feel like Black Lives Matter is right or wrong, we can have to acknowledge that there is some level of tension in the world around us revolving around race. Now, however that's being expressed, we need to work through that. Would you pray that God would bring peace and bring unity and restore that in our nation and develop that in a way that may have never even been? Would you think that's something to fast about? One of the things you see the early church fasting about often was about church leadership, about when they were appointing deacons or when they were appointing elders, when they were appointing missionaries. Well, this is the time of year where we start making those decisions. We'll be uh, uh, opening up for deacon nominations here in the coming weeks. We also just recently passed our bylaws, which have several teams on the bylaws that we need to fill with godly men and women who would serve the church in great ways and in those areas. So maybe that's something we need to fast about and ask God to put the right people in the right places for his name and his glory and his sake. There's plenty of reasons around us to fast. But now, in the middle of all of this, As we've talked through all these things, I know this has not been the most exciting message ever. At the same time, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you're like, you guys are really weird. Like, why would I ever fast to try to, like, get God's attention? This is just weird. Keep in mind that as we fast and we deprive ourselves of physical comfort and physical satisfaction, what we're doing is reflecting the God who gave up everything us. See, in our our Sunday school class with the young adults, we're walking our way through the book of Mark, and we, this morning, we're at the section where Jesus got uh, officially condemned to his crucifixion, and how he was beaten and bloodied. And as we look at that, we see that our God loved us so much that he would forego the comfort that he rightly deserved as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He would put all of that aside to be able to pursue us as he went to the cross and died in our place. As he was beaten, as he had nails driven through his wrists and his feet, as he was hung to die, he did that for us. 
So, you know, if I find a need around me that I feel like God's calling me to fast about, I think I can probably go with food for about a day, right? I could go without food for a day or longer. When I look at the God who is willing to lay aside all his glory, all of his power, all of his authority, and lay it all aside to die for me. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's what we're saying. There's a God who loved you so much that he would die in your place to draw you to himself so that you could be saved, who would give himself for you so that you could be made right in the thing that you could never do on your own as he died in your place and was raised from the dead to show that he defeated death. So now he calls you to himself. For you to follow him, to obey him. Yes, he calls you to, to die to yourself, to, to fast, to pray, to give. But all of this out of a response to what God's already done. Not because of a, a problem where we're trying to make our way to God. Jesus already did that. So this morning, if you're here or if you're watching online and you've never reached that point of putting Jesus in charge of your life, then I would challenge you and I'd encourage you, do it. Turn from your sin, turn from living life your way to turn to following Jesus. Come into his kingdom and experience the joy that comes with it.